Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Again, weirdly, we're we're in isolation. Yeah, it's strange. It is. Do I feel like we need to talk about last week? Yes, please. You start. Okay. So, Dee Dee contacted me on was it the Friday? Uh, the accident happened on the Wednesday night. Yes, Wednesday night. Yes, it was probably no. I can't remember. Why does it matter? I don't want to call it an accident. No. What do we call it, though, without getting sued? The awful tragedy. Tell it for people who aren't from Melbourne, who okay. aren't aware what happened. So, I'll tell you from my... Can I just say, this is... Hang on, this is weird because the way we're having to record, um, because we're still in isolation, we can't include Kirsten in this episode and it's thrown me already. I know, because she would Early. be, like, making noises right now. Yes. And we've got nothing. Yes. It okay. Just had to flag that. It's yes. weird. Okay. Yeah. So, go. Okay. So, on Wednesday, uh, I was at work. I'm just going to tell it from my lived experience. Yeah. So I was at work. I did this story, court story, and then I got a message. I'd gone home and I got a message from a producer saying, so sorry, we've had to drop your story. Mm. And I was annoyed. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's annoying. Like, I've done all that work, whole day work. I've had to drop it. And I was thinking, what could they possibly, why did it drop out of the rundown? Yeah. Anyway, so I flicked the news on and then I saw on the news that there had been this horrific crash on one of the major arterials here in Melbourne and at the time that I turned on the TV they were possibly thinking that they were just saying two people have died. Can I throw in my please for, uh, just at that point yes, so remember where you're up to yeah. okay so um, that afternoon I start to hear sirens oh. at about five Maybe coming up to six o'clock before six, sometime yeah, around was, yeah, there. Yeah, it was around news time. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. I start to hear siren, siren, siren. I'm thinking, gosh, there's an accident somewhere yeah. not far. And then I went for my walk, my early evening walk, and saw the police chopper overhead. And um, the accident or mm. the incident is two kilometers from my home. Right. So then a friend texted me to say, do you know what's going on on the Eastern Freeway? And I said, I gather there's been a bad accident. And this friend, her son knows a police officer. Right. And she said to me, I understand there are police officers involved. Mm. And she told me that it was three men and a female. And she knew exactly what had happened straight away. Yeah. So back to you where so you were. So then, yeah, so then of course – where we have a, a, a work group chat and, you know, it starts going off and there's people putting in information that they've heard and it goes from two people to two police officers to three police officers to now we know, of course, four police officers. Um, and basically, in a nutshell, what has happened is um, there is a fuckwit on yep. the freeway, I can legally say that, yeah. who's doing 149 kilometres per hour 
in a 100 zone, zooming down the freeway in his Porsche. Uh, he has been pulled over and spoken to by two police officers. Mm-hmm. They then decided to impound his car. And I call this entire tragedy a sliding doors moment. Mm. The whole thing is a sliding doors moment and it blows my mind. While they're waiting for two other officers back up to arrive, um, the Porsche driver walks up the freeway to urinate. As he does that, there's now the other car arrives with two more officers. So you've got four police officers standing in the emergency lane. A truck that has no relation to anything to do with the Porsche driver, the police officers or anyone else involved in that first scenario swerves into the emergency lane, hits and kills all four police officers. Mm. Mind-blowing. Unbelievable. And I don't know the details and nor do I want to, I don't think, Mm. but I gather just from the way people were talking that the three male officers were killed instantly and that the female officer lived for a little bit. And so people stopped and helped. Mm. Um, And this is where it then took a horrible turn because the driver of the Porsche filmed that female officer as she was dying. He laughed at her. Um, Just inhuman and I think Action. when I heard – this is going to sound bad, I think, on me. When I heard that four police officers had died, I was shocked. But I don't feel like the enormity of the situation had hit me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just feel like I was like, shit, that's a lot. Like, that's awful. But it didn't hit me until I got to court, which was – so that happened on the Wednesday night. The Thursday, we were waiting for people to get charged. It never happened. Thursday night, the Porsche driver was charged. We went to court. And I was, I really want to talk through this court scenario because I think it was really unusual. So, the first appearance, I think I've said this before, for anyone, doesn't matter what crime you've committed, is a filing hearing in the magistrate's court. Mm. And doesn't, it's normally a very brief hearing, pretty much goes like this the magistrate says, What's the date charged? They say such such a date. They go, well, when are you going to have the hand up brief of evidence ready? This date and committal mention date, which is the next actual hearing. What date's that? This hearing. Any custody management issues with your client? Any drugs, alcohol, need a doctor? Routine. Boring. Yeah. Nothing. Great. See you later. It's literally as quick as that. So he comes up. He's sitting in the dock. His wife is in court and... They go through all of that and then the informant, who was the police officer handling the case, stood up and said to the magistrate, uh, Your Honour, we'd like to read out the um, summary of events that has happened. And that summary of events is very rarely read out. It's Actually, it's never read out in a filing hearing. It's only really read out if the person is going to apply for bail. And that way, it gives the magistrate a fuller picture of the events that happened. So, it's... Pretty much the summary is the summary of events. It's the story of what happened. Anyway, so the informant says, I'd like, to, I'd like to read this out to the court. And the magistrate was very taken aback by that. And she said, oh, well, I don't know if there's any real need for it at this point. And he said, well, there's just been a lot of misinformation about what's being reported. Okay. I actually don't know if that's true. I think perhaps they just wanted it out there, what had happened. Ah, uh, okay. I'm not sure. Hmm. Anyway... His lawyer, the Porsche driver's lawyer, didn't 
object, he said, well, if there's misinformation, sure, get up and read it. Mm -hmm. So he gets into the dock and he starts reading. And of course, that's when we hear all this awful detail about how uh, when leading senior constable Lynette Taylor was dying, um, he went to his, instead of helping her, he went to his Porsche, she pulled out his mobile phone and he began filming her while walking around the vehicle that she was laying on top of. He then pushed the camera into her face and said, amazing, amazing, absolutely amazing. All I wanted to go do was go home and have my fucking sushi and now you fucked my fucking car. When that part was read out... Mm. And this isn't just a courtroom that's put aside for Porsche driver. There's other police officers in there who are waiting for their cases to come up. There's other members of the public who are waiting for their cases to come up. I can absolutely tell you the entire courtroom collectively held their breath. Mm. And everyone stopped what they were doing. And people, you could, the only thing you could hear was people's breathing going, just that, what a monster. Mm. There's no word, is there? There's no word for it. It was unbelievable. And then at the end of that, that officer said, Your Honour, I'd really like to take a moment to remember my four colleagues. And the entire courtroom fell silent and I just wanted to burst out crying. Mm. It was so – it was just so heavy. Yeah. It really felt heavy. It, it, well, I remember that day because yourself and, um, and other reporters who were there mm. shared that quote. Yes. Um, and – I then I was on air that afternoon, and as part of the media conference at the police help, so the, uh, held mm. the um, the chief commissioner spoke, um, and the uh, police minister, uh, and the police association, and then I had to read that quote, yeah. and my brain was going, "This is not your story. I this know. is not yours. This is not your family. This is just read what's in front yep. of you." But for some reason, all of the bits, all of the things that we've heard and the violation of yeah. that. that. That's a human being uh, dying. Yeah. Yes. And your natural fucking instinct didn't tell you to help. Yeah. That's the part that blows my mind. Not even not helping, but trying to comfort her, degrade you or just oh, bring yes. you down in your dying moments mm. it just so I, I unfortunately lost it on air which was um, oh it's not unfortunate that's just human which I think is just human I was a bit embarrassed yeah. about it because it's like you know it's when you're a, a no, journalist so slash presenter like, you're like just present it it's no I know but even I walked out of the court and I remember standing on the top steps of the magistrate's court and I had to go live in about 10 minutes and I remember thinking to myself fuck Chanel just pull yourself together yeah, you can like, feel it in you can't oh, you like it's just bubbling there like 100%. it's yeah and I quickly rang um, a friend and a, a colleague who works in police media and I said, does the family know this information? Does the family know mm. that in her final moments this is what happened? Because I have no choice but to report it because everyone else is going to report it. Yeah. I can't stop what every other journalist does. I have to report it. Can I tell you? I got feral that day. Did you? I got feral. Why did you? So. Sorry. I had a lot of inboxes from mm. people. I had a lot of people who were lovely and who messaged me words of kindness saying that's such a heavy story, Chanel, like I hope you're okay. And people I don't even know. And that it was it was amazing. Then I had one fucker. Oh no. Yeah. Who sent me a message saying that her husband was 
is a police officer and she's a return vet and as a woman I should have had more respect than to reveal details about oh, no yep no you you you're not responsible for the deaths you're not responsible for I what happened it. yeah I lost it did you I normally don't write back yeah but I was so fucked off mm. I just launched her and I was just wrote her this huge message saying, do you think I'm some soulless asshole? Pull yourself together. Do you not think that like all these details were read out in court? Mm. Police officers stood up and said they wanted to read it out in court knowing that it was full of journalists. Like, who the fuck do you think I am? Yeah. And then I saw she'd read it and then she didn't reply. And so I wrote another message because <laughs> I was that mad about it. Yes, good. And then do it. she wrote she wrote a message back going, I've really overlooked the situation. I sincerely apologize. Right. And this is why I... And then I wrote another message. Oh, another one. Rudely kind of accepting her apology, oh, but okay. not. And All then right. I was done. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, done. Sorry. Well, this is why I don't judge people who are grieving because you don't know how people are going. People react in all different ways. Of course. And I think your feral moment yep. and even the woman's writing the email, she probably on a normal day wouldn't have done that. No. But everyone is – we don't Tense. know who or where to be angry at. Yes. I know who we are angry at. And everyone's angry at the driver – that from the initial stop, but the I think our, ang- our he actually didn't kill the police officers. No, and it is a saying amongst court people and lawyers: you cannot be charged for being a fucking idiot. Yeah, I wish we could charge people that with that, yeah. but we just we cannot. Yeah, and is there a charge that covers that awful the filming and all of that? We don't no, know. I don't think so. No, um, and legally we probably better leave it there. I, I think so. Yeah, one mm. down the track. So there we are. If you're not from Melbourne and you didn't hear about the story, so basically what that meant was that um, collectively, and so Kirsten being my senior producer on on the afternoon show, and uh, I know you were right there in the court with him, but yeah. having to also convey and live through every moment horrible. of it, and for some reason I felt a bit of, because it's so close to my home, there was just a little element of that. Kirsten was dealing with people's reactions and stuff by taking their calls and stuff. So all three of us were just cooked we were last done. week. Yep. We were done. There have been, let me get this right, three funerals mm-hmm. uh, for the officers. There's one more to go on Monday. And at the conclusion of each funeral, our Chief Commissioner, Graham Ashton, has been uh, conveying a message over police radio and every officer has been asked to come out of their station and form up and have a minute's silence in respect of those officers. We have that audio and out of respect for of course, those officers, their families and any other police officers we know who would have been extremely impacted by what happened on the Eastern Freeway, we would like to play that audio now. BKC, this is X-Ray Charlie Charlie. Go ahead, Chief Commissioner Ashton. X-Ray Charlie Charlie, to honour leading Senior Constable Lynette Taylor, could I please ask members to form up at their police stations and those on patrol to safely pull over off the road to observe a minute's silence? Roger, X-Ray Charlie Charlie. All members at stations form up and stand to attention. All available patrol units safely pull over and turn their headlights on. X-Ray Charlie Charlie, I advise all members that leading senior constable Lynette Taylor is leaving the police chapel for her last resting place. I ask all members to stand to and observe a minute's silence. Thank you, X-Ray Charlie Charlie. We will now observe a minute's silence.
We will remember. We will remember. Hasten the dawn. Thank you, X-Ray Charlie Charlie. Thank you, members. Vale, leading senior constable, Lynette Taylor. Hmm. There, there doesn't seem to be a fitting tribute while we're all still in isolation. I hope that they, and they will do something more for those officers once police officers are allowed to gather en masse to farewell their colleagues. Graham Ashton looked Broken. just, uh, yep. Yep. He's a tremendous man. I really have a lot of respect oh, for Graham same. Ashton. Absolutely. And, um, for all police. Yes, and for those – we put something up on our Facebook and we had a huge amount of people that wrote back about the fact that why we weren't doing an episode. Yeah. And I've started reading the Facebook messages. Have you? Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm a little – No, they're lovely on I'm a ghost ninja on there. Sometimes I write back. I just get wild and write back. You're outing yourself. Um, but I've read them and they were beautiful <laughs> yeah. and they were lovely. And we had messages from people in – different countries so yeah um who had heard about what had happened and i just want to say thanks for those messages it was lovely who's going first today oh i'm doing a the hobart murder house okay so the this, hobart murder house yes i am doing that okay. uh i'm obsessed with tassie since i went there last year you have so, to tell people where tassie is i think tasmania is sort of hanging off the bottom of australia well it's part of australia yes and it's joined i think under you know in it's the a little deep, island down the bottom cutaneous layers tectonic plate type situation going on it's joined and it's a beautiful part of the world now this tip came from Damien via our Facebook page and he linked us to a story on realestate.com.au so I have to credit them about this notorious murder house that had come up for sale in Hobart why is my laptop not working okay Uh, also wanted to credit a blog that I read on on West Hobart on WordPress Um, there are some very interesting reader comments on there from people who knew the man at the centre of this case. Mm. So the house is a 1910 townhouse at 99 Hill Street. It's got two bedrooms. It's been renovated and re-plumbed. This is from the ad. Oh, uh, re-plumbed is always a real <laughs> issue for me. Really? Yeah. You want it re-plumbed? No, it makes me think people flushed body bits down there. Not necessarily. It could have had the old gal pipes and they've just... Put I'd the be new, asking questions. Yeah, oh, it's that, a red flag. That's taking it too far. It is. You just think of all the stories we've done. Yeah, true. Um, it's really simple, little rendered front. It's in a whole row of very similar ones and they're all painted that sort of ochre colour, that sort of mm-hmm. yeah beige. It was the scene of a horrific murder. Now, I'll come back to the auction at the murder. end, a murder. First, let's find out what happened there. So, Rory Jack Thompson was born in Seattle in Washington in America. His dad, Richard, was a soldier and then a fisherman. And his mum, Alice, was a dental assistant. And they divorced when Rory was in grade 10. His mum, Alice, became an alcoholic and she gave full custody of Rory and his brothers to their dad, okay. Richard. And she then attempted suicide. So Rory ended up being moved from place to place, staying with family, friends, uh, sometimes with his mother or with his father sometimes. But at school, he was a really difficult student. He only started to do well when he was taught by a mathematician and he was grouped in with some really other bright kids in the honours, chemistry and maths classes. So he found, you know, his His people. Mm. Rory also liked folk dancing. What? There's not enough folk dancing in this world, is Rory there? Rory sounds like a fallen serial killer. He does a bit, doesn't he? Uh, and when he was folk dancing, he met the love of his life, well, his first wife anyway, Luella. Mm. He went to San Diego College, so we're still in America, graduated with a degree in mathematics. He then went to Massachusetts. Massachusetts. In, it's hard to say, isn't it? No, Massachusetts. 
It's I a can't song. say. I think I've told you I can't uh, say risk. Risk. Oh, I have real issues with that word. Da, 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 in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. The Bee Gees. Mm, 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 mm. Why were they singing about Massachusetts? I don't know. What are the lyrics? I haven't got my glasses on. I can't. You can Google it. I'll Google it. Massachusetts lyrics. You look that up while I keep telling okay. the story. So he went to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology to get his... I can his say de- it. I can tell you I definitely can't fucking spell it. Mass... M-A-S-S... Yeah, I got that far. A-C-H... Oh, A-C-H... U-S-E-T-T-S... Yeah. Lyrics. So he was aiming to get a degree in oceanography. Oh, feel I'm going back to Massachusetts. Why do they want to go back there? I don't know. Something's What's... telling me I must go home. All the lights. It'll be a girl. There'll be a girl there. Oh, yeah. The day yeah. I left her standing yes. on her own. Yes. There she is. All right. So Rory was described by some people as a genius. During his studies, though, Rory and Luella divorced and she got custody of their daughter. Okay. So it looks like he was quite well respected during his academic career. He contributed to more than 40 scientific works on mathematics and oceanography, but he was always apparently a little bit odd. During one seminar... He, yeah, because he was folk dancing. <laughs> he got bored with the person speaking at the seminar and he opened a window and jumped out two and a half metres to the ground. Good. Apparently he slept outside under the stars when he felt like it. He danced with the Hare Krishna people in the street. Yep. And he made his children wear helmets in case they fell over. What? And he also sent... made them wear helmets <laughs> in case they fall. Wait, all the time. All little kids on scooters. Well, when I read the reader comments under the blog, yes, apparently both people could remember seeing the, the toddlers with these helmets on on their scooters and stuff. So it's... he's cool to jump out a window, but he does not want his kids to oh, fall yeah. over. Do as I say, don't do as I do. Yeah. And they, other people observed that he didn't seem to have any empathy with other people. Okay. Um, he killed five of his next door neighbours' roosters and he got rid of... We the... did not get to roosters <laughs> fast enough in that sentence. He killed who? Five of his next door neighbours' roosters. Where Kieran's building a chicken coop at my place. I'm and so jealous. He's calling it Clucking Hen palace and it's got he's got oh, this old stained glass doors around and it's going to be like a palace i cannot wait i told you my neighbors have chickens that's the best I they want bring them. rats you know that yeah and we've got snakes and everything it's going to be madness in the garden i always look over the fence and i go i say hi chickens i look over them and nicholas is always like Fuck, get down off the fence are they smelly no or noisy Mm, he lets them walk around his backyard. Like I think he lets them out on the weekends. They're not really – they don't bother me at all. There's a bit of a debate going on as to where the Cluckingham Palace is going to be situated. I'm, I want a little bit away from the I house. I think it depends what kind of chickens you buy. Is not that a noisy thing? ones. I don't know. I don't think you can buy not noisy ones, but I think <laughs> like male or female. Oh, well, if male you want ones a rooster. Don't get a rooster. Roosters crow. Get one rooster. I want one rooster in the hen house. Yeah. Uh, so the, I don't know why the neighbours had five roosters, but there would have been a lot of crowing going on, you would think, yeah. with roosters because they, they're they competing with each other. So he tried to get rid of the evidence of what he'd done there. He buried them. In 1974, Rory married again a woman named Maureen. And when he was offered a job as a lecturer at the University of Western Australia, they went to live there. Mm-hmm. They had... Two children, Melody and Raffi. I think they're the helmet kids. Okay. And that's not their fault. That's victim blaming. It's um, very funny. 
they moved then back to Hobart in 1983. Back to Hobart? Yes, because they'd gone to WA for a little while. Oh, okay. Now they're living in Hobart. Okay. 1983. He's got a job as a researcher for the CSIRO. But soon soon after they got back into Hobart, more... What a fun fact. Yeah? CSIRO invented Wi-Fi. Did they? Yep. Australian invention. Very CSIRO conscious at the moment because I'm just waiting for a, a vaccine. I feel like they're doing good research. Australia's research is really good because other countries trust our research. So we're leading mm. the way on a lot of stuff. We're pretty great. smart. Mm, we are. Um, okay. So Maureen filed for divorce. Rory was apparently an abusive husband. She'd reported him to the cops several times. Mm. She'd had to spend time in hospital after being physically abused by him. And she got a protective order against him. And there was then a custody battle over the kids. Mm. She got temporary custody of the children. And Rory was allowed to come and visit on Saturdays. They would have been fucking thrilled because they no longer had to wear helmets anymore. <laughs> Mummy, can we go just Who bare, do you want to live with? Bareheaded, mum, please. Mum, mum, mum. <laughs> Maureen took control of the bank account. And that made Rory Rory really angry. So one Mm. night, while the children were at his house, Rory jogged over to the house, the murder house on Hill Road, intending to kill Maureen. But he got cold feet. He backed out. He ran back home and he snuggled up with his son, Raffi, in bed. Rory wasn't sleeping well around this time. He was using sleeping pills. He was paranoid that people were against him. He was under stress on a lot of different fronts. So Mm -hmm. his job, his mother died around this time. um, And he was also going to have to move out of the house that he was living in, which was a CSIRO family accommodation house. So lots of stress on him. Okay. He came up with a plan to deal with it. Wonderful. Can't wait to hear it. He bought half a sheep. Half a sheep? Yes. Front half, back half? Don't No, think down the middle. Down the middle? Probably. Okay. He dismembered it and he tested to see whether he could flush he pieces of it. he dismembered it? Yes, keep up. Wait. Chopped up, you yeah. know, butchered. And because he tested it to see whether he could flush pieces of it down see, the toilet. I, I told you. You weren't expecting that, no, were you? This, this is why they have had to plumb this house. Continue. <laughs> he had to go to Sydney for work. And while he was there in Sydney, he bought a hacksaw and some other tools. On the 10th of September, 1983, Rory took his children to his house for their scheduled visit. Once they were all tucked up in bed, he locked them in and he went for a walk to Maureen's house at 99 Hill Street, Hobart. Mm. He was wearing a wig and a skirt as a disguise. Good. I'm sure he absolutely fitted in and did not look strange at all. And he was also, I think the skirt was a bit of genius on his part because he had a bag of tools and so he put them <laughs> in the skirt. He, he waited, was the main one. He waited in the garden until Maureen had gone to sleep and then he had a spare key, so he got himself uh. in. Maureen woke up and there was a struggle and he hit her with a table leg no. and then strangled her. Then he cut Maureen's body into pieces using the no. hacksaw and a meat cleaver and he flushed the pieces down the toilet. He later explained why he did it. He said, my adult mind collapsed between fear and the felt necessity to make Maureen vanish. And the toilet was a very young child's solution for how to get rid of guilty bad doo-doo. Do you think Sigmund Freud would just have a field day with that sentence? It's just not a good plan. I don't think it is, but he's saying it was some childish thing came out of What do you do with the rest of her? Right. It's like you can see me. (laughs) 
there were some bits of her that wouldn't fit down the toilet. Yes. Which bit, Chanel? Will be the skull. Thank you. The head. Uh, but also like your all your, the, your bigger bones. Well, he bought the hacksaw. He's oh, cut those he into pieces. Them. Okay. But mainly the head. There's not much you can do about that. Yeah. So he buried them in the bush above Pottery Road in Lena Valley. I'm not sure if that's near the house, but that's where he buried them. So after disposing of the body, Rory went home to the children. Daddy's home. Good. The next day he took them Put swimming. your helmets on. <laughs> he went to work. He went to work as usual on the Monday. So three days later, he reported Maureen missing. Now, oh, no. At around the same time that he reported her missing, I'm not sure quite how this happened, but somebody found, maybe at the sewerage works, somebody found a finger in the sewage and that person raised suspicion about Rory's missing persons report sorry a bit blurry about how that part happened yeah that's come full circle but they've gone hmm because there's not that much crime in this area I found a finger of a person at the same time a person's gone missing in that area unless you're living in a heavily mafia populated area fingers just floating around no, they're it's not. It's not normal. No, they're not. It's not normal. Well, look, they joined all the dots. They went okay. to Maureen's house and they found, obviously, Poor their evidence Maureen. of yeah, violence there. Horrible. They pulled apart the house's sewer system with Chanel Vela standing over them with her microphone going, yep. check that shit out. Yep. They found in the sewer system of the house 60 pieces of oh. unidentified body parts and another 23 parts that they could identify. Who are these idiots that just think stuff just goes straight out to the ocean? Well, I would have. He obviously did them too frequently. But then haven't we had fatbergs while we've been in lockdown? We People had a 42-ton fatberg yeah. under this city. People flush all sorts of stuff. Don't they? I told you my brother worked at the purification plant, didn't I? Didn't I tell you that? I'm sure I did. I think you did. Yeah. They used to get it false teeth, all sorts of stuff Everything in there. Everything would Peas, be... Peas, corn. Yeah. Mm. Uh, after 10 days, they had enough evidence I to arrest... I'll tell you a toilet story later, but I might <laughs> save it for next episode. Rory. I kind of want to hear it. Save it for the next episode. Yeah, I'll save it for the next one. Top uh, of the next one. They charged Rory. He went on trial 29th of February 1984. He started off defending himself. Of course he did. Of course he did. Uh, but he later engaged legal representation. He was found not guilty. What the actual... I know. The jury found that he had committed the act as charged, but he was not guilty by reason of insanity. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. So he was locked up in Risdon Prison's hospital indefinitely. Psychologists determined he had a significant personality disorder, you reckon, and a lack of social understanding mm. and excess arrogance. The two children Excess were... arrogance? Yeah. What about that for a diagnosis? Yeah, right. His two children were taken to California by Maureen's sister and they adopted Fair. her last name and they weren't allowed any contact with their father. Rory wrote his autobiography while he was locked up and the proceeds of the sales from that went into the Children's Trust Fund. His son, Raffi, eventually made contact with his father. He called him twice a week and he pleaded for his father to be released but his sister and his auntie didn't want him let out. Rory applied twice to be declared sane. I don't think he can do that. He can't go, oh, look, I was mad then when I did the murder. I had a moment. Mm. (laughs) Uh, The tribunal heard his case. They suggested his release, but the Tasmanian government refused. In 1994, Rory Thompson changed his name by deed poll to Jack Newman. 
very inconspicuous name. I'm Jack Newman now. (laughs) And he was eventually allowed to work unsupervised on a garden outside the prison gates. Oh no, something's happened. In 1999, he tried to escape. Of course he did. He'd somehow gotten hold of a credit card and bought a plane ticket to Melbourne. What? He spoke to a woman while he was waiting at a bus stop. Still wearing his prison uniform. In Melbourne or? No, still in Tassie, just outside the prison. Yeah. She found him a little bit odd and a bit nervous. So she made an excuse to get away. She had a child with her and she said that she'd left her purse at home. So she took with her, went off with her five-year-old child and she called the police and said, weird guy at the bus stop. Yeah. They caught Rory just minutes before his plane was due to take off. So I think they must have had to follow the bus route and find out where he'd gone to. So he was thrown back into jail, now in maximum security. He suffered depression. Yep. He was prescribed an antidepressant by his doctor, but he was mm-hmm. taken off that by Dr. Alan Jaeger, who's or Jaeger, one of the prison hospital's psychiatrists. Three days later, after being taken off the medication, Rory was found dead in his oh. cell. He had hanged himself using a shoelace, and that's why they take your shoes away from you. Um, that sparked an inquiry because five other inmates had also died under this Dr. Jaeger or Jaeger's supervision in less than a year. Wow. And the Magistrates Court in Tasmania held an inquest into the prison hospital's psychological department and it found that Rory's suicide was due to the carelessness of the prison officers. It was also found that there were insufficient uh, insufficiencies in their practices in inmate mental hair, uh, health care, not hair. Hair. All right, nearly finished. In his will, he left behind $300,000 and well, I don't know why in separate amounts, but um, $1.5 million to the World Wildlife Fund. He didn't leave a cent to his own children. And on Not the f- even the one that wanted him out of jail. No. And on the final pages of his book, he says, I'm glad to have been alive, though sorry Maureen is not. And just quickly back to the murder house in Hill Street. So it came up for sale in March this year. Oh, recent. Uh, it had been sold back in 1991 for $67,000. Then it sold again in 2010 for $103,000. And then in 2015 for $375,000. This time, buyers were lined up down the street to have a sticky beak. The asking price was 575000 The real estate agent, Debbie Heron, saw 37 groups through on its first day. There were seven competitive offers. She told prospective buyers about the history of the house, and it's readily available if you Google it anyway. Uh, She said most people didn't have any concerns about it. The house sold three days after it was listed for sale for a figure well above the asking price, but they didn't disclose the figure. So there you have the Hobart Murder House. You can Google it in Hill Street. That's wild. Mm. You guessed it. You always guess my ending before I get to it. That's all right. What do you got? Don't give me as much detail. Why? I get suspicious. I I have a suspicious mind. I said a house had been (laughs) re-plumbed. And I knew instantly. And you suddenly finished my story for me. (laughs) See, if you want to buy a house, take me with you. I'll make sure no one's been (laughs) murdered in it. Um, Bloody poor Maureen, though. Yeah, I know. She did nothing wrong. Hmm. I'm doing a story that I covered in court. I don't think I've done this story before. It's the story that I always refer to as the eggplant murder. Don't know it. Okay, great. So I covered. Is it an emoji? Well, (laughs) I 
Yes, yes, I'm doing it to you. It's, it's, it's somewhat, it does involve a picture of an eggplant. Okay. So we're in rural Victoria and this actually wasn't that long ago at all. We're in 2017 and I'm taking you to an area or a town known as Tatura. I have issues saying that word. It's uh, in the Goulburn Valley region of Victoria. It has a population of just under 5,000 people. And uh, we are on a farm. This sounds vaguely familiar. It might, because it was in the news. I covered it not long ago. Okay. Um, that farm uh, is owned by a man called Angelo Russo. Now, Angelo has a mate, a great mate, and his name is David Calandro. And David has two young boys. So one Saturday in 2017, David puts his two boys into his double cab ute and he goes and picks up one of his friends and they head off to Angelo's farm. And the reason they're going to the farm is because they're going to pick peppers. Um, David isn't a farmer. Is He's in some kind named of... Peter Piper? No. I had a real weird thing when I wrote pick peppers. <laughs> I know. I thought the same thing. Can you thing. do it? Peter Piper picked a peck of pick... No, it's okay. I can't right. do it. Try it. Peter do Piper it. picked a peck of... No. Peter Piper picked a peck of pick a... What about the... What's the... I'm not the... Pheasant. She sells she sells... She, she sells, sells seashells, seashells by, by the seashore. What about... I'm not the fig... Plucker, I'm the fig plucker's son, and I'm only plucking figs till the fig plucker comes. What? Do it. I don't even know I'm that I'm not one. the fig plucker, I'm the fig plucker's son. I'm going to, no, because I'm going to say fucker. You say fucking pigs. <laughs> I'm only fucking pigs. <laughs> okay, so David's in some kind of earth moving business. So mm -hmm. Angelo's the farmer, David and his mate and his two sons go to pick peppers at Angelo's farm. Angelo had told them where they could get them from on the farm because he wasn't going to be there. But when they got there, Angelo's son was there and he said, you're more than welcome to go down, grab some peppers. And we've also got some that are boxed, ready to go. You can take whatever you want out of them as well. So they go and they get all the vegetables that they want and they begin to leave the farm. They all pile back into the double cab ute and while they're driving down the driveway towards the main road, uh, Angelo's dog, a Brittany Spaniel named Harry, chased after them. So mm -hmm. the dog is chasing after the car. The dog ran beside the ute and barked at them and David swerved towards the dog in order to spook the dog, but he hit the dog. Oh, no. Mm. David said, whoops. His friend responded, fuck David, that didn't feel very good. David then looked in the side mirror of his ute and said, it's all right. And his friend said, are you sure like that didn't feel good? It didn't, I'm sure that was more than just a tap. And David said, yeah, but when the friend looked in his side mirror, he saw that the, the dog was lying in the middle of the driveway mm. and it appeared to be injured and was having some sort of spasm. Oh. He said to David, the dog looks like it's having a spasm on the on the road. David looked in his mirror, shrugged it off and said, whatever. Oh, no. Hmm. David then just continued to drive. They left the farm and they left the dog for dead and they didn't tell anyone they'd hit the dog. But as his... Um... Hold on, I'm just reading ahead. Oh, yeah, okay, right, right, right. Okay, so... David drives away, but as he's made his way home, he starts to get his friend starts to get of a bit of a conscience, and his friend's like, "Do you think we should go back?" Um, and he's like, "I don't know." And his friend says, "Well, it's your fucking call. You were driving. You ran over the dog. You've got to go back and face the music." He's, David still does not turn the ute around at that point. He continues driving. 
he drops his friend home. And even at that point, his, he tells his friend, if Angelo asks you what happened to the dog, mm. don't say anything. This is one problem. What? Angelo has already found out about the dog. So Angelo's son had found the dog after David had driven off. He'd found the dog in the driveway and knew that it had most likely been hit by David. He carried the dog back towards the main house and laid it down near a car. He thought the dog was dead. Angelo's son then rang his father and said, I think David has hit the dog and he didn't stop. He's Mm. gone. Angelo returns to the farm from wherever he was and one of the workers describes the vehicle, one of the farm workers, that he believes hit the dog and Angelo knows at this point that it is David and his mate in this ute and he is pissed. So he calls um, David's friend who came to the farm with him and says to him, you're a fucking cunt accuses them of running over the dog and failing to stop. The friend says, no, this was all David who did it. I tried to get him did to stop. Did the dog die? We don't. Oh, okay. All right. Yep, keep going. Um, so Angelo says to them, I want to find out from both of you, you pair of pricks, right now I want to find out who ran over my dog because you didn't even have the courtesy to tell me that you killed my dog. And he tells them to come back to the farm. They hang up and then Angelo rings David and tells him the same thing. Says, the dog's fucked. Get back here. And he says at the same time as he's saying, get back here. David says, yeah, yeah, I'm right here. I'm here. He, he had had a change of heart at some point and he's come back to the farm. So in the meantime, Angelo walks over to the dog and realizes the dog is still alive. But mm. the dog is bloodied and Aww. groaning and it was making, is what Angelo said, a funny noise. And he looked to be in a lot of pain. Initially, Angelo thought of hitting the dog over the head with a shovel, but he just couldn't do it because the dog was his pet. Mm. So he went to his ute, got out a shotgun, loaded it with two cartridges, and he shot the dog in the head. Yeah. He'd only ever used that gun before to – he was a registered firearms user, and he'd used it to frighten birds and stuff. I think on farms it's fair enough. It's not recreational. Yeah, it's part of their livelihood. Yeah. So immediately after he shoots the dog, David arrives back on the farm with his mate and his two sons. So I'm going to use the words that were said in court here. With anger in his heart, but with no violence in his mind, Angelo approaches David with the shotgun still in hand. He began to approach David before he even had the chance to get out of his ute with And with the loaded gun in his hand, Angelo slipped on a discarded eggplant. Oh. The barrel of the shotgun struck the door of the ute, and with the safety off and without pulling the trigger, the shotgun went off. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Is this just a story? That just a defense? The bullets? Is that what actually happened? Yep. Whoa. The bullet struck David in the head, causing catastrophic and fatal injuries. Yep. I need to say at this point that when he was shot, he's sitting in a ute in bucket seats next to his two young sons. Oh, no. Who were showered in glass and witnessed their father being shot. But Angelo, in that split second, still didn't realize that his friend had been shot. Right. He thought the gun had fallen up against the window and just shattered the window. Oh, oh, but then, God. obviously, he very quickly realizes that he has shot David. 
Angelo and his workers immediately try to save David. An air ambulance arrives and takes him to the Royal Melbourne Hospital. However, the next day, his life support was switched off. Mm. Initially, Angelo was charged with the murder of David um, and manslaughter in the alternative. So the jury could choose either. Um, And he was also charged with injuries relating to the two boys. At his trial before a jury, Angelo initially pleaded not guilty to all charges. Mid-trial, having heard the evidence to that point, senior counsel for the prosecution conceded that an accidental discharge of the shotgun could not be excluded. Mm. Then, by agreement between the two parties, the jury was discharged without verdict and a fresh indictment charging manslaughter only was filed, to which Angelo pleaded guilty. So... The charge, as the judge put it, was, he said, on the one hand, the cherished life of a universally admired man with young children has been taken from him and his loved ones. Further, while the gun discharged by accident, the director alleges and Angelo accepts that the circumstances in which those events occurred nevertheless amount to the crime of manslaughter by criminal negligence, Mm. which by definition is a serious offence carrying a heavy maximum penalty. On the other hand, Angelo is a good family man of outstanding character who has contributed extensively to his community over many years, but who made a fatal error of judgment that, in my view, only just amounts to an instance of manslaughter. Hang on a minute. He didn't, he didn't make a fatal error of judgment. I think he made the, 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 he had to put the dog out of its misery. Yeah. So where, he slipped on so an eggplant. The fatal, so where was the error of judgment? The fatal error of judgment was in the lack of proper gun handling practices. Oh. So he didn't ensure okay. the safety was on. He didn't discharge the but second he, bullet oh. after he used the first one. He was handling a weapon while he was angry. Right. So okay. all of that okay. was kind of gone through in court. They yeah. had someone examine the gun. They the gun, they worked out the gun wasn't faulty, but there was a chance it could have gone off by itself, yeah. all yeah, those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. Um, he said, further, despite what I regard as viable evidence, uh, defense to that charge, he has pleaded guilty, is racked with remorse for the damage he has done and has excellent prospects of rehabilitation. He was jailed for two and a half years before parole, five years total. So couldn't apply for parole before two and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which seems reasonable because even Mm. if it was an accident, taking into account all those things you said, the the correct handling of firearms, you've still taken a life. My work was obsessed with this story because of the eggplant. Welcome to TV commercial news, right? So no one could get past the eggplant in this story. I had so many questions like, what do you mean he slipped on an eggplant? I was like, well, there was an eggplant on in the driveway. Yeah, but eggplants are sort of round and firm. Was he, it a rotten one? Well, and so there was so much talk about the eggplant. So when this sentence happened, I thought, I'm going to need to apply for a photo of the eggplant. I have to. The actual stepped-on one? The stepped-on eggplant. Yep, okay. So there I am. I write this email to Supreme Court. Hello, I would like to request a crime scene photo uh, on behalf of Channel 7 News. I would request Exhibit J-photo of trodden eggplant. Right. Yep. And so normally... Did you see it? Have you seen the photo of the eggplant? Well, not these media applications (laughs) in the Supreme Court are dealt with 
what I would like to say, behind closed doors. So mm-hmm. they're not discussed in open court. In magistrate's court, they're openly discussed. Oh, so Sometimes right. not in county. In Supreme Court, it's just up to the judge and he makes a decision and then you just get an email back. So he's just opened his email and gone, fucking hell, Chanel Bella, what yeah. is wrong with I you? I always think that they must think that when I request <laughs> shit. But he decided to deal with this in open court. Oh, no, that's yes, embarrassing he did. for you. With all no. the family there and everyone else and he <laughs> peers, he's up so high in the Supreme Court, he peers over <laughs> and he gla- he doesn't know who's who in the zoo in the media area. Right. I have an email here. Oh, no, no. I died. I was like, oh, far. oh God, he's going to read it out. He's going to read it out. It appears to be from someone in the television news <laughs> oh, I them. could hear the disdain in his voice <laughs> they have requested a photo of the eggplant <laughs> I just wanted to leave what? I was done did was... anyone else know that you had asked for it yeah like, well I you... told other journalists oh, right like, so but they're all looking at you then. yeah they're side like eyes, side eye side eye you talk yeah so then the prosecutor, who I know very well, he's like very well, and um, he just like looks over. He's like, seriously? He's like, yeah, I need it. I need – like everyone's obsessed with the eggplant. I just need it. Um, and so he gets up and, you know, he's a senior barrister. He's senior counsel. He's cute. Actually, he's a QC. Right. He's like, oh, well – I thought you were going to say he was cute. No, he's yeah. a QC. Right. He's like, well, well, Your Honour, I could understand that the – journalists have a job to illustrate the crimes that are committed and blah, blah, blah. Yes. And of course, the eggplant has raised several. So you've got all these important people arguing about a photo of an eggplant. And I was just beginning to feel very small. I got the photo of the eggplant. Yes. And what was it? Was it like rotten well, and squashed? Or... Send... Oh, will we be able to put that up on our social yes, media? Yes, I'll send oh, it to you. I'll send it to do. you so you can see. Oh, I see the eggplant. Okay, it doesn't look like it's been slipped on. It looks it intact. It does. Look, it's got a split well, in it. Well, it's got a split, but I don't know. If the, do they bounce back after you stand on them? I'm impressed at your work, though. That's good that you got it. It's got dust and everything all over it. <laughs> I wanted to put that photo up on my desk just because it... it's a good conversation starter. People will be like, why do you have a photo of an eggplant on your desk? But isn't the eggplant That a eggplant's penis? a murderer. Is that a penis reference? Yeah, fuck someone, didn't I think it? It, <laughs> it certainly did. <laughs> Righto. Well, oh, okay. A text from Kirsten who can't communicate with us in the way Seg- we're recording. <laughs> Send me the eggplant immediately. Okay, I, I'm so sorry. I forgot to send it. Okay, well, while you're doing that, I'm just going to thank everyone for their support and for your patience with us um, while we had to skip a week. We'll try under these weird conditions we're working under to keep bringing podcasts to you. And in the meantime, we love hearing from you. Send us your dead Oh, wait, I need to say something. What? Don't send any more stories about dead doggos. Oh, yes, please. It just got too it's, sad. I actually, it's upsetting, yeah, Dee Dee. It and was she, I just too much. I threw it out there and it became too much. Yeah. Um, There's a few on the Facebook page. And thank you to those who do um, have done. But, um, yeah, please no more dogs because it's just too sad. And I was really having trouble coping with it. Right, deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. Cursed, I've sent you the eggplant. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.